five, four, three, two, one, zero. All engine running. Liftoff. We have a liftoff. on the internet what we're gonna do right here is go back way back back into time when the only people that existed were troglodytes cavemen cave women neanderthal troglodytes let's take the average caveman at home, listening to his stereo. Sometimes he'd get up, try to do his thing. He'd begin to move, something like this. Yeah. 
All right, we're back. A little journey to the past there with the uh, Jimmy Castor bunch and the ballad of Bertha Butt, one of the Butt sisters. Don't ask me why I played that. Although as a kid, I really did like that song. It was one of those songs that would come on the radio, the AM radio. And uh, I remember the first time I heard that, I thought it was just hilarious that there was a song about Bertha Butt. And my father and I used to crack up over that song. It sounds like a remix. You can hear a little like techno tweak in there, but man, the beat is really freaking groovy. Um, <laughs> and groovy, man. Groovy beat. Welcome to the show. It's uh, 15 minutes of flame. And if you've come over from Astro Weather, Greetings, salutations. Thanks for showing up, being here. You know, there was an interesting photo there at the end, and I'm pretty sure it was Daryl Hannah. Let me just see this thing. Give me one second. You know, I'm just uh, imminently curious. She comes out of the Metzger family, which is interesting. Let me see Daryl Hannah's. You know, she's uh, she was a model and made the transition to being an actress, which is not always an easy thing to do. I want to see her filmography here. See if my uh, instincts are are on the money. Let me go back, way back, and so the Adams she was in the Adams Family reunion, a TV movie, and apparently um, Wednesday Adams died, which is really weird because of course there was the resurrection of Wednesday Adams in the new uh, TV series. And then Wednesday, okay, I was right. I was right. Now, they don't actually occur in sequence. But Daryl Hannah was in the Clan of the Cave Bearer. Very interesting movie. I, I don't think that they used like traditional language right i always get this mixed up with quest for fire one of them has like weird languages um clan of the cave bear at a time in prehistory neanderthals shared the earth with early homo sapiens a band of cave dwellers adopt a blonde and blue-eyed Isla, a child of the others, as Isla matures into a young woman of spirit and courage, unlike other women of the clan, she must fight for survival against the jealousy, bigotry of Brood, who will one day be a clan leader. Based on Jean M. All's popular book, there is minimal narration and subtitles. See, that's what I thought. Uh, translate the Neanderthal gestures and primitive. So all they had to do 
to eliminate white privilege was apparently just kill Isla. They just eliminated Isla. There'd be no white privilege. But the reason I'm just joking, partially, um, the reason I think it's interesting is because Daryl Hannah plays this kind of mutation, right? She's a mutation and, and changes the, uh, the vector of humanity, blonde hair, blue eyed. And then she shows up in Blade Runner as a super android, which is also kind of a variation on the human story, right? The, the, the transhuman part of our story. So it's that's an interesting, weird kind of career and mythological arc as a character for Daryl Hannah. It's very, very interesting. Then she married Neil Young. I should watch this movie. That'd be that'd be a kind of a good revisitation. I think it got terrible reviews. I think both that and um, the other movie that I mentioned got pretty bad reviews. Not like Raquel Welch and uh, was it Forty Thousand Years BC. A classic, true classic. Anyway, welcome to the show. Uh, we have a lot to cover today. And apparently, James O'Keefe is out at Project Veritas. And I, I, I plan on talking about, about uh, Turkey again today. Because I have some more things around um, the earthquake stuff that I'm going to bring up. But before I do, there's a couple of things I have to do. And that, of course, is give a nod to our sponsor, which is True Hemp Science. And uh, I just got off of the Astro Weather, where, of course, I talked about the efficacy of our good friend Chris's products. And the uh, moon dust is now circulating through my body, tickling my synapses. And bring me clarity and awareness, an added layer. So you guys know the drill. If you're new to the show or you're listening on the podcast, all you have to do to get organically sourced CBD, start to finish soup to nuts, go to truemscience.com forward slash ref forward slash 23, truemscience.com forward slash ref forward slash 23, type in 15 mins, one five M-I-N-S, and you'll get free product along with your order, which is always a nice added bonus. $150 or more, and you'll get free shipping. And I got a message from Chris yesterday. Um, again, just you know, always talking about how loyal and faithful you guys are, and you come back for orders, right? That's always the best. That is always the best uh, testimonial when you get return customers. So he uh, he sings your praises, Chattaria. He sings your praises. All right, let me get into let me get into you, uh, Chattaria. Let's see who's here today. 
I don't want to be in that program. I don't want to be in any program. And I don't think you guys do either. <laughs> what I know about you. A fiercely independent bunch. Okay, who do we have here? We have, uh, of course, DJMC. What's going on, Brother Michael? Good to see you. There's my man, Thomas. Uh, designated Survivor, THX 1138. I, you know, well, I saw the movie as a kid on KTVU. And I couldn't figure out what the fuck was going on in that movie. All I knew was that I liked it. I'm like, man, I don't know what's going on here. But this thing is pretty fucking cool. I'm sorry, I used fuck two times now. I'm trying to cut back on my fucks. Really. A lot of people are just fucking tired of it. No, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, THX 11, 1138. I think that was the license plate of Harrison Ford's coupe in American Graffiti, if I'm not mistaken. Learned that from a, a Jeff Beck interview, by the way. Beth Berry's here. What's going on, Double B? Kelly B, we got Triple B's back-to-back. -back. Uh, get your longitudinal waves on. Yes, indeed. Thursday, that's right. Steve is here re reminding us that this is his day. Catherine Kramer, K2, she's checking in. Mark S, what's going on, Brother Mark? Always good to see you here. Miss Nikia checking in. Fantastic. CC Jones, SP Dimples, right, right on the button at 9-11. Erica E, we have some thunder, so it's Deaf Thursday. Absolutely. Julie Sunshine. Julie Sunshine. Triple three. Rocky. Rocky. I like saying that. Mary, Marie, Marie NYC. Hi, Marie NYC. Hucklebuck 411. What's up, Huck? The Crossfire Cat. One AIGs forgot about this one. Jimmy Castor Bunch, man. That was a hot groove. I remember an old British movie, I believe, called The Troglodytes. Well, there was a band called The Trogs, too. Wow, thing. This is hilarious. Erica E., I'm glad you found some humor in that. Suck it to me, 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 suck it to me. Third eye activated. Hey, Oka. Hey. Very interesting, but stupid. I know. Well, it's supposed to, it's not supposed to be smart. That's not a smart song. I think I love you. That's also a, a, a that lyric, because he says, Bertha Buck, come over here. I think I love you. That's a nod to the Trogs. Very clever, Jimmy Castor Bunch. It may be not so stupid as we think, at least on a certain level. Metakuya Oyasin. Crossfire Cat loved it. I'm a no-tribe native. Reminds me of the Hog Sisters. I'm a and you're a. 
Is David Hogg one of the Hogg sisters? Da Hogg? Why'd you play that? You know, I was, it, it was one of those things. I was, I was looking, I was looking at a version of boom, boom, out go the lights. Couldn't find a good one. And there was the Jimmy Castor bunch sitting right there. I'd listened to that song about a week ago. I'm like, let's cue up the Jimmy Castor bunch. It's a song about humanity's bright future. It's getting back to basics, SP. Harry Bowie making the journey over from uh, the Astro Weather. Good to see you. Clan of the Cave Bear, that's right. Lynn reporting in from Panama. Our Panamanian correspondent, Finka Feliz, checks in with Iran warships might be allowed through canal. Her and Neil, a couple of... So I have a Daryl Hannah story. It doesn't affect me personally. But I knew this guy. He used to put on this uh, music festival in Santa Rosa. Health, I think, was it Health and Harmony or, or Harmony? I forget the name. It was pretty cool. I used to go there quite a bit. I used to get backstage. I, I met people. I met, um, I met Bruce Lipton there backstage one time. Super nice guy. He agreed to be on my show. Really liked Bruce Lipton. I was kind of drunk when I met him. He seemed to appreciate it. Um, who else did I meet? I met Dennis Kucinich backstage there one day. Strange vibe. Dennis Kucinich has a really strange vibe. Otherworldly. Very otherworldly. I asked him about chemtrails. And at that time, he was sponsoring this uh, bill that had to do with aviation and fuel and emissions. And he was trying to uncover chemtrails. And he said to me, I asked him, I said, if you're elected president, because he was running for president, if you're elected president, what are you going to do about this geoengineering stuff? And then he said to me, well, first of all, it looks like it's real because I know people that are suffering from the effects of it. And then he talked about his um, air safety. It had to, not just air, it had to do with jets, Jet Fuel Air Safety Act. And it never, pardon the pun, got off the ground. But that was his way to try to get into the whole geoengineering and uh, chemtrail thing. I'd liked Dennis Kucinich. I thought the perfect ticket would have been a Ron Paul Dennis Kucinich ticket. It would have it would have been um, the horse the the horse jockeys from the Lord of the Rings ticket. They both look like little little wizards. Little wizards. And I say little. Not in, a, not in a bad way, by the way. Anyway, so the guy who put this uh, music festival together, they had speakers and everything. He brought Daryl Hannah in a couple times. And they, and they hung out together. And um, he really liked her. He thought that she was super cool. And very open to 
kind of other ways of looking. You know, I wonder how she felt about Neil Young's troglodyte stance on Joe Rogan. I, I bet there was a little cringe there. I bet there was a little cringe because she's a lot younger than Neil Young. And I bet she has more in common with us than old Neil does. Just saying. I think Daryl Hannah broke Neil Young's brain. She probably broke another part of his anatomy. Neil Young's a Scorpio. Ali Oop, he's the toughest man there is alive. Ali Oop, wearing clothes from a wildcat's hide. Ali Oop, he's the king of the jungle. Look at that caveman go. Now, there's some, there's some retrospect. Thanks, Hucklebuck. Been here since, quite frankly, show every day. You, you, oh, thanks, Freight Train. Thanks for being here. Nice synergy between me and the Frank man. Love what Frank does. Caveman was funny. Oh, that was with John Matuzak and Ringo Starr. The twos was, he was legendary. And Crossfire Cat coming over from uh, the Frank world. Thanks for being here. I'll take, it's 1 million years BC. Thank you, Hucklebuck. I got the number wrong. But yeah, Raquel Welch, 1 million years BC. Wow. Let's create a movie for Raquel Welch wearing as little as she possibly can and get it in so that as many kids and dads as possible can see the movie. And then, of course, we'll have a great poster from it. That's, <laughs> that's ostensibly why they made the movie, I think, and not the other way around. Uh, Kelly B knows it from Splash. Oh, there you go. Another genetic mutation. Interesting. She started as a fish. <laughs> and then turned herself into a blonde-haired, blue-eyed supermodel from Chicago. My first, um, what was my first connection with Daryl Hannah? I think it was Blade Runner. But then I was at a, at a, a friend's house one day. Super nice woman. And she had a, it was, um. She had a pool and there were a bunch of us over at her place. She, I, I, I went to college with her. She was older, super nice lady. So we're swimming around her pool and everything, having a great time. And afterwards, um, we're inside and I think we had, I don't know, beer or soda or whatever. And she had a big um, coffee table book of Helmut Newton's art. I'm like, oh, what's this? <laughs> like going through there. Wow. I really like this book. Man, I'm a big fan of Helmut Newton. And then there was Daryl Hannah because she fit the profile. Right? She was one of these um, Amazons that Helmut Newton loved to photograph with nary uh, a piece of clothing on them, or at the very least on their top, right? Anyway, that was my second exposure to Daryl Hannah. Uh, the James O'Keefe thing is weird to me. We'll try to get into that with not without getting too far off of today's topic. I'll try to multitask today. Um, Julie Sunshine says, I talked to an older man parked next to me yesterday about our dogs. Then we got personal. His 39-year-old daughter had to take the shot for work. She died suddenly. He's devastated. Oh, my. <sighs> well, that brings us back to Pat and Lisa, King Pat and Lisa. So let me give you an update here. There is a GoFundMe for them, for Lisa, and I neglected to 
um, bring it up yesterday, but I am going to do it today. Uh, and I'm just going to put it out there. I have not yet donated, but I will. Um, let me just fire it up. Give me one sec. Let's see. go in here i know tom and tom probably is posting it um in the uh chat today so i think he can post links but uh, i'll bring it up here so let's do a little visual So here's a picture of Queen Lisa and King Pat and uh, Jason Phillips organized the fundraiser. Um, they got a goal of 15 grand one day until service, February 10th, 2023. So I guess Pat's service is tomorrow. So if you haven't pitched in, um, I'm going to pitch in today. Uh, dear friends and family is with a heavy heart that I reach out to you today. Our dear friend, Pat Koloshinsky passed away unexpectedly, leaving us all in shock and disbelief. Pat was a kind, caring, and loving one-of-a-kind man who touched the lives of so many people and will be deeply missed. Pat was more than just a friend to us. He was part of our family and a cherished member of our community. Pat's passing left a void that can never be filled, but we can honor his memory by helping his beloved wife, Lisa, during this difficult time. So I'm not, I am not running this GoFundMe, but I will contribute. And, um, Lisa uh, and Pat, like many of us, how um, are, are you know we're we're kind of renegades, right? We like to operate outside of the system, and they didn't have um, they didn't have Obamacare, right? So you know they didn't have an alternative health plan, which I think are out there. There are some alternatives to Obamacare if you poke around. But um, Pat's medical bills, I think, will be significant because of just going up there and showing up and, you know, transitioning, right? Wow. Anyway, um, I think those will be fairly significant. And, you know, if, you know, you don't want to carry the weight of that burden. And that debt along with you, right? When you restart your life. So I'm going to donate today. And um, uh, and I think Tom can put the link in. If not, I'll do it because, well, I can. But it's weird sometimes. I have to actually register for my own, my own chat. So let me go ahead and do that. And... Let me see if Tom put it in there. Um, let's see who else do we have. James O'Keefe Austin from Project Veritas. Yep. Clan of the K-Bear series, some of my favorite books. Bigfoot Adopts Human Girl. Good stuff. Steve Letro checking in. Tribes like to leave me out. Shows me how contrary they are. Well, you know, there's always a place for somebody like like you it's kind of next to the tribe 
this is what they did with the shaman, right? The shaman was placed next to the tribe, didn't really live with the tribe. So the tribe could go hang out with the cross-eyed shaman, go there, have their dreams interpreted, and get whatever cures. But they were separated out from the tribe, right? There's, there was, and there is a reason for, for that. Another reason, there seems to be some evidence, and this, I'm, by the way, uh, third eye activated. I'm not saying this is you, but maybe it is. And if it is, who cares? Uh, there seems to be some evidence that not only were the shamanic type uh, epileptic, cross-eyed, different, there seems to be some evidence that they were also queer which is another reason why they wanted them to leave, live adjacent to the tribe. I, I, I've read some accounts about this. I'm not, I'm not doing any postmodern editorializing on either side of the spectrum. See, it's a Libra moon. I'm being fair today. Um, let's see. So Tom put the uh, link in for the fundraiser. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate that. Yes, Daryl Hannah and Jeff K. Jr. She was, man, she was a thing back in the day. Never cut back on folks. I like that, Erica E. I'm sorry to hear that, Julie. You and I talked about that a little bit in uh, the plight of your daughter. It's not easy. Not easy being a parent now. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? JJ. Oh, look who's here. It's about time. Come up here, Mr. Insecure. Jasper's joined us. Yes, you are Mr. Insecure. You're still the top cat. We will bring the new cat down this weekend. You are still the top cat. There's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. Uh, let's see. Daryl Hannah was bad in Kill Bill. She had the one eye. One eye symbolism in Kill Bill. Badass. She was badass. I, li I actually like Daryl Hannah. You like her too? Jasper likes Daryl Hannah. Uh, let's see. Who else? Who else do we have? Yeah, Beth Berry says Q Sinek was a friend of Shirley McLean. He lost credibility in his political circles when he said he see, had seen you. Dennis Q Sinek is otherworldly. And he's actually tied, believe it or not, to, to if I'm not mistaken, to Gassara. I remember reading uh, some threads a long time ago about how, how Kucinich, Ron Paul, and Cynthia McKinney were somehow all tied to Gassara. It wouldn't surprise me. But I like Dennis. He had a very unusual vibe. Tamara's in here. I always love how Tamara named uh Name checks, everybody. Dennis Quaid was in Caveman. I laughed my ass when Dennis smashed a giant dragonfly on Ringo's face and mustard oozed. <laughs> I may have to say, I've never seen Caveman. But with Dennis Quaid, Ringo Starr, John Matuzak, and of course, Barbara Bach, it might be worth watching. Uh, let's see. Who else do we have? 
Oh, John Fetterman hospitalized with probably another stroke. What would happen if Fetterman strokes out? What will they do? Will they will they fire up the uh, the latex version of Fetterman, or will they have his wife step in? I'm thinking it's the latter. Hello, community. Love this group. The group loves you, too. This is a great group. This is where outsiders can feel inside, but outside at the same time. You don't lose your outsider status inside the group. And Tom has a, a link, uh, an address to send a card to Lisa if you want. I, I texted with Lisa this morning. And she has uh, a coterie of uh, family and friends who have joined her and rallied uh, to support her. So that's really good news. Fetterman's wife will take over. That's what I was thinking, Lynn. See, great minds, same channel. Uh, Jeff Rosansky of Jeff uh, Rosansky Video comes in here and says, so tough to get started on my day as an Aquarius with Saturn here conjunct my Mars Jupiter. These are the days of build character, Jeff. Build character. You can do it. I refused an ambulance after sitting inside when my O2 was 90. And said, yeah, thanks. I'll save myself 15K and drive myself. I'm like, you were kidnapping me. I did the same thing one time, a long time ago. Didn't have to do with my uh, O2, but my blood pressure. I I refused it. Shaman energy places outside with the ability to go in, but also need to come back out. I think we've got a group of shamans here. It's exactly what I said about the inside and the outside. Mark M, what's going on, brother? Good to see you. Is Jasper Leo? No, Jasper is a Taurus. He loves, he loves his Taurin pleasures. And I kid you not, especially the chest of women. Jasper goes right in. He goes right in for the hugs. We need to see Jasper. Jasper, you're you're being requested. Okay, there you go. It's your show now, buddy. Jasper, what do you think of the new cat? What's your thoughts on the new cat? Are you ready to accept the new cat into your life? It's going to take a lot of chin and ego stroking to allow you to have this new cat in your life. I know, but we're here for you. We're here for you. Aren't you going to say anything to your people? All right, wave by. I got a show to do. Okay, the Bisu's here. What's going on, Debussy? Steve Letro giving us some play-by-play. Nine buzzards flying around. Take note of that. Probably a dead animal close by. Could be. Could be. All right, let's get going here. I guess I should talk about James uh, O'Keefe a little bit. James is an Aquarian. Yeah. Did you know that? Apparently Jasper knew that. 
James is an Aquarian. And, um, you know, disruptive things happen to Aquarians. It's the nature of the beast. Yeah. So what is it? What is it? So here's what I think. Okay. There is some controversy and debate about the legitimacy of the guy that they targeted at Pfizer. So here, here's, here's the, um, the question surrounding the lying date man. I'm going to plug this. Well, I, I can probably get right through the show with this. Um, the lying, the lying date man apparently was a contractor for Pfizer. This is the story, even though he's listed on their org chart. And there's some discrepancy as to whether or not he's really a doctor or somebody that comes from the marketing side of things. And if he is a contractor, apparently he is like a second layer contractor, meaning that there was a company that contracted out to another company. So Pfizer has a contract with a contractor who has a subcontract with another company. And he's a part, he's part of that subcontract. This is what I've read. And so his um, proximity to what Pfizer is, is doing theoretically is way downstream or rather upstream, right? So, so if um, Pfizer's the son, um, this guy's probably Uranus, right? I mean, if you really want to use it, it would be, it'd be Venus, but Venus is probably too too cool for school there. So there, there's this ongoing thing that the guy really wasn't someone who matters or of note. And so when he was spewing all these things um, about what, you know, the vaccine, the virus, what was it? Evolutionary adaptation or whatever the fuck the term was, right? Like all that stuff was a lie. It was all a lie. And the guy even said, well, you, I'm on a date, so I'm lying. Isn't that what men do? They lie. Well, you know what's interesting? They kind, he's kind of right about that because men do lie a little bit on first dates. It may not be ostentatious lies, but they always put their best selves forward unless, of course, they're in anti-date mode, which is always an interesting kind of place to be. But um, so, yeah, was so maybe this guy was a small fish. Uh, O'Keefe and Project Veritas made it out to be like the Moby Dick of the Veritas um, mission. And really what they got was a minnow, right? And so there's that thought around this there's a couple of other pieces here and by the way i don't have any 
clear uh, evidence that shows that he was either one version of that or the other. There is an org chart, showed him listen on the org chart. Um, there was uh, some, I think I saw an inner office Microsoft memo where it had his position listed on there, which seems to appear to be more hierarchical than what's being let on or or has been told about him. Now, the other side of this, and this was brought up on Russ's site, and somebody left a comment on Russ's site when we did the, the uh, show, and we kind of featured that a little bit, is that a lot of times in corporate America, people are given titles over salary. Like they'll, they'll be given some kind of bizarre title, which sounds very important and that they're up in the food chain, but their salary is not commensurate with that. So there's this weird thing that goes on and he might be part of that club. Now, here's where I think James O'Keefe got into hot water. He fucked with Pfizer. That's number one. The other piece here is that the guy that he flipped the script on is what he's mixed. So he's quote unquote, not white, right? He's mixed. You know, he could pass for black and he's also gay. And in terms of the hierarchy, he's close to the top of the hierarchy. So they've basically fucked with the wrong guy in terms of type, right? And I think what, here's what I think what happened. There's a board of directors for Project Veritas and James O'Keefe started this whole thing when he, uh, when he outed Acorn. That was where Project Veritas really kind of broke through and they're and he's connected to the heritage foundation and james o'keefe comes out of a conservative think tank farm right it's not like james o'keefe just woke up one day and said hey i'm gonna do this crazy political candid camera thing james o'keefe for lack of a better term, is groomed, right? He's he's you know studied this stuff, and the conservatives, like the Heritage Foundation, embraced him very early on. And he is an Aquarian. We know he's an Aquarian, so he's going to be disturbing, right? That's just the nature of Aquarius. And Andrew Breitbart, an Aquarian, and one of the and so they kind of you know, interestingly enough, sort of popped together at the same time being the radical representation of the so-called right. So, but he, I think he fucked with the wrong entity. But what was really interesting too is he, he ran across he ran across that teacher, I think in Sacramento who had the picture of the, you know, Mao and the uh, uh, communist flag and you know he was grooming he was grooming his students and he went after him and basically the, the sacramento um 
school district or whatever school district he was in said, see you later. You got to go. Well, they compensated him pretty well for leaving. But the guy was, I think he was either married or had a girlfriend. So he, he checked the, you know, the, the, the heteronormative box, whereas this guy did not. He didn't, he didn't check that box. So James O'Keefe went after a person who is theoretically a lot more protected. I'm just going to say it a lot more protected than even the radical lefty teacher who he outed and they ousted with a nice, with a nice little parachute there for that guy. Just saying, right? So he crossed lines. He crossed lines with Pfizer, huge company, massive, massive company, and probably sent um, some very threatening legal letters to Project Veritas and the board. And when you get into a suit, let's say, uh, let's say Pfizer wanted to sue, and this guy wanted to sue. Think of all of the resources that Pfizer has in order to crush Project Veritas and James O'Keefe. It's like the government. It's endless resources. So they're given they're given an option. Either and they sit down and say, hey, look, you got to step down. You got to step down, or we're gonna we're gonna be in a legal fight that will strangle us. So the dilemma for Project Veritas is James O'Keefe is Project Veritas. Like they can't, there will be no Project Veritas without James O'Keefe. And will James O'Keefe do something else? Will he continue to, um, you know, play the candid camera game? I don't know. I always thought it was weird though when James O'Keefe went to a, a testing center. It's like, what the fuck would you want to do that? He went to a testing center and he had the swab driven up his nose. I thought that was really weird. Like, why are you doing that? I just I, I don't have, I don't have the inclination or the information to try to figure out why, but um, it's a story we'll keep our eye on and an interesting one at that. I'm sure James O'Keefe will wind up on Tucker Joe Rogan, he'll make the rounds. All right, so I wanted to talk um, a bit more about the earthquake in Turkey today from a bit of a different perspective, but also as an addendum to what we were talking about yesterday. So I got a text from a friend and a good friend and who happens to be from Turkey. And uh, he took not just umbrage, but great umbrage with what I shared yesterday. And our exchange got a little heated uh, for a number of reasons. So I wanted to talk a little bit about that today and that process today. And try to clarify 
how I share and why I share. So one of the, the uh, complaints that he brought up was the fact that I was not showing due sensitivity to the people and the culture, right? Like, why, why couldn't I have waited a week, two weeks? I don't, I don't know how long I was supposed to wait to be able to talk about this. And I think it's an interesting question because, you know, when you really drill down and look at it, there are people and, 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 you know, this is where I go initially with things. And I'll tell you why I go initially with this one sort of tack. There are people there. And I, and I think it's important to note this that are suffering, right? They're suffering. And I've been reading stories where, it's, you know, it's one of those things where there's rubble and they're hearing voices and there are people trapped under rubble. And you know what? That is one of my worst fucking nightmares is to be in a situation like that. It's a terrible, terrible feeling. And I remember um, reading stories about what happened in Loma Prieta earthquake. Another one that I think was probably triggered um, in California. And there are people who were pulled out of that. And even when they had the building collapse in Florida recently, there were people that were, they could hear them, right? Going in and, you know, pulling the rubble off. And there are literally, you know, thousands of people who are in that, hundreds of thousands of people in that predicament in Turkey, right? And their buildings destroyed, lives lost. It's not going to be rebuilt overnight, right? So, I don't want to discount the toll of human suffering in something that intense. And it's important to note that that's happening, right? And we are in another place. We're pretty removed from it. So we're not boots on the ground. You know, we're, we're not, we're not there, but I think we have empathy and can, when we place ourselves in that position, it's like, wow, man, that's a lot. That's a lot. So, I need to just, at the very least, acknowledge that. And for many of us, we have very little comprehension about what that looks like and what it feels like. For some people who have been through earth, earthquakes, you can get a sense, right? But this is something that's on a massive scale. So to that extent, I just want to acknowledge that there is a tremendous amount of human suffering going on in that part of the world, Turkey and Syria. So I'm circling back Libra moons today. And I want to just, you know, bring that to your attention and my attention. Now in human design, you know, there are, different types, right? I am a projector. I'm a two, four projector and I am a splenic projector. And there is an upside and a downside to being a splenic projector. The upside of a splenic projector is you just, and by the way, this is not something that I've, you know, just kind of come to, but you work at it. And over the course of one's life, 
as a splenic projector, you're able to, or I'm able to synthesize material very quickly, come from the gut and go right in, right? That's the splenic projector. I am not an emotional projector. I don't have to work through emotion. My son is an emotional projector. I've seen how it works. I am not a mental projector. I don't have to find the key to unlock the cage of my mind. And once that happens, clarity breaks through. And then all the pieces of the puzzle fit, right? I am not any of those projectors. I'm not a pure projector. I am a splenic projector, which means that I am operating from the spleen. And there's no real thought, right? It's instinct and go. And that's how I operate. And for some people, it's uncomfortable. They don't, it's like it's too much. And it may be true, but if you're operating from an emotional wavelength, you're not going to be able to hear it because you have to work through the emotion. Or if you're operating from the mental piece, right? It's like, uh, you know, let me find the construct for that. Then once I find the construct for it, then you can plug it in. So I come from a different place and it's not always uh, easy, but it's one of the things that, you know, I, I'm, I'm not here to do a, a fucking infomercial for myself, but it's one of the things that I think makes me effective with my work is that I have a refined gut instinct. And I would say nine times out of 10, I am right. And I have to re I have to fact check and go through my gut instinct. And when I don't fact check and go, go through it, sometimes it'll knock me upside the head and I'm not perfect, but I have really good instincts and I've honed them for a very long period of time. And what makes people uncomfortable is the fact that I go there. And not everybody's always ready for it. So that's what happened yesterday. I had a gut instinct. I went in and I don't think I'm wrong. I don't think I'm wrong. Now, the other um, piece that was brought up is that this is a highly active tectonic zone and that there are cycles of quakes that happen every 500 years. Now, a lot of you follow Dutch Sense, um, you know, the earthquake guru. I used to follow him for, uh, I don't know, 2010s, 2010, 2011, right, 2012. He was blown up. He's on Pro um, Project Camelot. And this is not personal, but I, I would always, you know, eventually run across this thing where, his life was threatened. His family's life was threatened. He was going to quit and stop. And but then we come back. It was to, to me. It was like too, well, too seismic, right? I'm like, what's going on here? Is is this real? Is he a drama queen? And he's very good at what he does. He knows the stuff inside. He's been doing this for a long time. So I'm not going to debate that part of his work. I just, I just could not. I I couldn't stand the drama train. So. What he believes, and, and, and there are people who follow him more than I do, but this is what I can surmise, is that there was um, a window, a seismic window 
in that area. And he believes that they jumped on the window and they amplified the tectonic weaponry, which is quite possible. So that, that part of the, the uh, equation, right, that this is a highly active earthquake zone with a history and a cyclical um, phase of these things happening with advanced knowledge and the ability to trigger at a much higher level a seismic response dovetails and synergizes into both worlds. Now, I don't have the, uh, the, 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 the earth data in front of me. I don't, you know, there are people who talked about, and, and, and what is today, Thursday? So tomorrow's Friday, we get the Friday forecast. Um, there are people who talked about seeing weird things in the sky over Turkey prior to the earthquake, right? We can't discount some of these things. And I think that they make a perfect, there's a perfect case to be made that Turkey was put into place in Syria too, for that matter. Right. There's a perfect, uh, this is a perfect case for that. Given that Turkey was not happy with Sweden, not happy with Finland, not happy with NATO. Erdogan always playing kind of the outlier, kind of playing both sides against the middle, right? I'll be a part of it, not be a part of it, be a part of it, not be a part of it. That, to me, that's always been Turkey's role here. You watch him at, what is it, the G8 or the G20? The guy looks so fucking disinterested. You can just tell he doesn't want to be there. But he's told that he has to be there, right? So when you're a leader of a country like that, if you want to use the word leader, and you want to retain your country's sovereignty, it is pretty tricky. And I don't claim to know everything about Erdogan. But um, from what I've seen in the past, the guy's pretty crafty. And, you know, I'll just leave that there, right? Now, I don't think any country in the world, whether it's Turkey or the United States um, or Uruguay, I don't think any country in the world at this stage of the game will be allowed to have a heroic figure who is who is the people's candidate and who will loudly proclaim from the highest mountain in the country that this country is sovereign and you know, we run our own affairs. I don't think that kind of um, model is possible. Now, can can we create something that's parallel? Will this whole thing ultimately collapse into rubble or like parts of Turkey. There's a good possibility of that. And what rises out of that is, you know, TBD. And we're headed into Pluto and Aquarius and we're unknown territory, unknown country. We're going off the map here pretty soon. We have a brief glimpse into that reality in March for a little less than two months. And then we come back. It's like we stick our head in the portal and we pull it back out and we ask ourselves, what the fuck happened? Where were we? Right. So 
what I'm trying to do is in the spirit of the Libra moon is make a case and leave some latitude, but I stand by my position that this was something that was stimulated and simulated. The technology is there. It's there. And I have some articles that I wanted to bring up. The first article that was um, brought to my attention was sent to me by uh, Beverly, a good friend and a good friend of the show. And this is what I was going to bring up yesterday. Um, let me see if I can find it. Let's see. Here it is right here. So, Renette Senham's Foghorn Express. She did a piece on Turkey withstanding a modern-day fifth generation in silent war. So, I was going to bring this up yesterday. I ran out of time. I said I would come back to it today. And this is what we're talking about. By the way, this is antiquated harp technology. This thing has been retired now. Um, it's owned by the University of Anchorage. They use it as kind of a research program. They have completely refined harp, and it doesn't look anything like this now. So this is her post um, from February 7th. Natural catastrophes may not be so natural. Modern warfare has turned our communities into the front lines. I'm tired of seeing the unabated destruction of our planet and all things beautiful watching much suffer from what seems to be the direct result of an elusive hand. I'm surrounded by a once healthy and robust forest in the lower Sierra Nevada range, now dying from an onslaught of nearly two decades of incessant aerosol spraying. True that. I see day in and day out like today, a clear blue sky in the morning, only to be crisscrossed into a choking geoengineered haze by afternoon. The pollinators and insect populations have plummeted. Forests and crops are suffering alike. Died suddenly and unexpectedly are a common thread that can be found in our community obituaries. And living in my hometown today is like living in the remnants of a community that was once annihilated by an invisible bomb. The buildings remain, but the community no longer resembles what it was pre-COVID. The battles we need to win are so numerous and dauntless that it's overwhelming. My only hope to end this madness is a full-on economic crash, that comes with its inherent risks and tribulations. You may get your wish with that, perhaps sooner than later. It's the proverbial wolf chewing off its paw to escape a trap. While an economic Federal Reserve and central bank crash would be painful on many levels, it seems the only chance we have to stop the digitized open-air prison expanding all around us. We are the first generation globally to be subjected to what is known as fifth generation in silent warfare, it's inconspicuous, ugly, and unforgiving, targeting unsuspecting citizens in every community worldwide. Many are unaware that they're a casualty of war in their own hometowns. There is nowhere to hide. Turkey in the crosshairs. Now we have Turkey in its unfathomable series of earthquakes. I watched in horror as the scenes unfolded in the Turkish aftermath yesterday. I spent a few weeks there a couple of decades ago, was enthralled by the history, traditions, food, architecture, and beautiful, soulful people. 
seeing them gripped in horror each time the earth shook, subjecting them to ongoing psychological horror and trauma was more than I could bear on many levels. While at first glance, it may seem Mother Nature dealt them a rough blow. This may be anything but natural. Please bear with me. What initially caught my attention were the aftershocks that followed the M.78 earthquake, starting at the bottom right of the chart below. These were not typical aftershocks, but the earthquake after earthquake that followed the original M.78, and they continued unabated and pummeling and already terrorized and decimated population. So this is um, the earthquake, and these are the aftershocks. They got a 7.5 aftershock. So this, I think, might perhaps dovetail with the Dutch sense thing that once they... Once this quake hit, were they able to crank up the earthquake machinery and generate more and more tectonic devastation? Question mark. This is highly unusual for aftershocks, as seen in the example below, of an analysis of a similar M.78 earthquake and subsequent aftershocks in the 1994 Northridge earthquake in California. Below is a forecast of what can be expected during most aftershocks, or during most, following most earthquakes. Let's see aftershocks. Let's see if we can figure this out, right? So here's the 7.8, and everything gets stepped down, which is not really the case with the earthquake in Turkey. And then here is aftershock probability. Any aftershock over M3 is not the norm. Turkey's aftershocks are between M5 and M7. In addition, the timing of the Turkey earthquake and subsequent staggering aftershocks is highly suspect concerning recent geopolitical developments surrounding Turkey. This is what I talked about yesterday. Turkey pushes back against the U.S. and NATO allies. Turkey's rhetoric against Washington and several European capitals has grown more belligerent. And most recently, with the interior minister calling out the American ambassador, Jeffrey Flake. Embassies in Turkey, of which many are NATO nations, were issued security warnings. The mass exodus of embassy staff and officials ensued. The excuse was due to possible targeting retribution for Quran burning protests throughout Europe. Well, we talked about um, the agent provocateur uh, in Sweden, who looked like a complete. He looks like, you know what he looks like? He looks like the guy that's hired to spray anti-Semitic graffiti on a on a on a uh, on a temple and is busted. That's what he looks like. That's what he feels like. And it turns out that uh, you know he actually happens to be part of the same group that is spraying the anti-Semitic graffiti. So the group that he's theoretically lashing out against, he happens to be part of the same group. Not uncommon, by the way. Agent provocateurs show up in all stripes, ethnicities, religious affiliations, and other. Earlier this week, the U.S. Embassy in Ankara and several European diplomatic missions issued security warnings against potential terrorist attacks by jihadist groups targeting Westerners in response 
<coughs> excuse me, <coughs> to Quran burning protests across Europe over the past few weeks. So here's my splenic authority kicking in. The same people that set up the migration are the ones that are now staging the Quran burnings. FYI. Some of the European missions, foreign cultural centers, and even foreign schools were closed down temporarily over the week due to security threats. Turkey's interior minister, Suleiman Soylu, who accused the West of waging a psychological war against Ankara on Thursday, renewed his accusations today by singling out the United States. I'm calling out to the American ambassador here, he said. Get your filthy hands off Turkey. We know very well what you have done, how you have attempted to stir up Turkey. Soylu added, we're reiterating his frequent attacks on Washington. Suleiman Soylu, uh, uh, outspoken critic of the United States, who accuses Washington of the 2016 military coup attempt and plots to portray Turkey as an unstable state, railed against U.S. Ambassador Jeffrey Flake on Friday, telling him to take his dirty hands off Turkey. Every U.S. ambassador who arrives in Turkey is hurrying to find out how to make a coup possible in Turkey. So he said in an address at a ministerial event in the Turkish city of Antalya. Would this man be lying? We've seen how the, the neo-Ziocon orchestrated coups work. They're the byproduct of the left and the right. The uniparty, right? The at, at a certain level, it's a uniparty. I mean, look at Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. They were warmongers. They were warmongers. The party of peace in conjunction with the neocons staged and helped stage coup after coup. The biggest coup, of course, was Libya. And they try to do it in uh, in Turkey. Soylu also accused U.S. embassies of Europe of convening uh, together in an attempt to control the continent. He stressed that U.S. efforts in Turkey were futile thanks to Turkish President Recep Tayyip Erdogan. All right. Coincidence or modern-day war games? The war against Turkey may have transitioned into next-level modern-day warfare using HARP to initiate earthquakes. Now, for those who continue to disbelieve in the existence of this wicked power, watch the video at the top of this post to take a breath. So the earthquake stuff has gone on for a long, long time. Long time. It goes all the way back to Tesla. Tesla actually created a, an earthquake machine. So here's plenty of backstory. Plenty of backstory. So we're at Sentence Follow Chrome Express as reader supported. So there you go. If you want to check out more of her work, go to uh, Substack. Thanks, Beverly, for sending this to me. And there's plenty of info on. Um, earthquake detonating technology plenty and plenty of info i did my own sort of deep dive this morning um a website that um i like to go to 
get out here. It's kind of a hard word to say, but is Bibliotecapolides. Bibliotecapolides, right? It's a very challenging word. So I, I bookmarked this website. And it is a treasure trove of dark conspiratorial arcana. So this is an article out of New Dawn magazine from 2005. By the way, there's a Spanish version of this website. When you go there, it's a little confusing because there's an English version and a Spanish version. Click on the English version and then you can search anything. Like there's plenty of articles on um, earthquake technology that I could pull from. This is just one of them. And this is where he gets into uh, the Good Friday earthquake in Alaska, 9.2 magnitude. And this is all coming off of the uh, major Asian tsunami. Day after, days after the disaster, Canadian professor Michelle uh, Chosodovsky, who wrote an article, Foreknowledge of a Natural Disaster, Washington was aware the deadly tidal wave was building in the Indian Ocean. Right. So there, you know, he talks about natural earthquakes. And then he gets into artificially induced earthquakes. And this is kind of um, baseline stuff, right? Fracking, fluid injection into the earth, fluid extraction from the earth, mining or quarrying, uh, so-called nuclear testing through the construction of dams and reservoirs. Then he gets into this suppressed Tesla technology and man-made earthquakes. And there's a patent for Tesla's vibrators, the earthquake machine. And here's another article entitled Tesla's Controlled Earthquakes. Tesla states experiments in transmitting mechanical vibrations through the earth, called by him the art of telegeodynamics, were roughly described by the scientists as a sort of controlled earthquake. This is Tesla's quote. The rhythmical vibrations pass through the earth with almost no loss of energy becomes possible to convey mechanical effects to the greatest terrestrial distances to produce all kinds of unique effects. The invention could be used with destructive effect in war. This has been around for a very long time, people. Another leading Tesla research in nuclear engineer, Lieutenant Colonel Thomas Bearden, Lecturing at the Symposium of the U.S. Uh, Psychotronics Association in 1981 stated, Tesla found that he could set up standing waves in the earth, molten core, or just set it up through the rocks. The telluric activity in the rocks would furnish activity into these waves, and one would get more potential energy in those waves than he would put in. So we're talking amplification. He called the concept Tesla Magnifying Transmitter, also known as TMT. They will go through anything. What you do is that you set up a standing wave through the earth and the molten core of the earth begins to feed that wave. We're talking Tesla now. When you have that standing wave, you have to set up a triode. What you've done is that molten core of the earth is feeding the earth energy. And it's like your signal that you're putting in is gating a grid of triode. 
then what you do is change the frequency. If you change the frequency one way, start to dephase it, you dump the energy up in the atmosphere beyond the point on the other side of the earth that you focused upon. If you're playing the earth game, you start ionizing the air. You can change the weather flow patterns, jet streams, et cetera. You can change all that. If you dump it gradually, real gradually, you influence the heck out of weather. It's a great weather machine. If you dump it sharply, you don't get little ionization like that. You will get flashes and fireballs. Plasma will come down on the surface of the earth. You can cause enormous weather changes over entire regions by playing that thing back and forth. Then it gets into harp, right? There's all these pieces here. All these pieces that provide a potential backstory to what happened. I found this to be very interesting. And I had no idea that this person even existed. And I gotta I gotta find more, I gotta find more information on this person. You learn you learn something new every day. Planet Earth, the latest weapon of war, renowned scientist and nuclear activist Dr. Rosalie Bartel says such electromagnetic weapons have the ability to transmit explosive and other effects such as earthquake induction across intercontinental distances to any selected target site on the globe with force levels equivalent to major nuclear explosions. Her book explains that pulsed extremely low ELF frequency waves can be used to convey mechanical effects and vibrations at great distances through the Earth. Such manipulation of the Earth, she states, has the capability to cause disturbance of volcanoes and tectonic plates, which in turn have an effect on the weather. This is exactly what uh, Bearden was saying, creating storms and torrential rains over an area. Anyone notice the world's weather has been very strange in recent months? Well, this goes all the way back to 2014, if I'm not mistaken. This article. So this woman is very interesting. I didn't know anything about her until I looked her up. And this is her book. Planet Earth, the latest weapon of war, critical study into the military and the environment. Rosalie Bartel. Bertel. Bertel proposes that the key understanding to the impact of future wars lies in the close analysis of the past. She shows how the quest for military power has destabilized the delicate natural balance of the Earth's ecosystem, causing widespread devastation in environmental, economic, and social terms and calls for a new approach to security, which rises above national agendas to seek global solutions to a global problem. So is she a globalist? I don't know. But she's, she's pretty interesting. And I'll show you why she's pretty interesting. If I can find her uh, bio here. Let me see. All right, let me just do a quick search here. because I had it up here. So, uh, very interesting. 
here's a here's a Wikipedia. I'll give you a visual. Rosalie Bertel, April 4th, 1929. She passed away in 2012. Was an American scientist, author, environmental activist, epidemiologist, and Catholic nun. Bertel was a sister of the gray nuns of the Sacred Heart, best known for her work in the field of ionizing radiation. A dual citizen of Canada, the United States, she worked in environmental health since 1970. In 1986, she was awarded the Right Livelihood Award for raising public awareness about the destruction of the biosphere and human gene pool, especially by low-level radiation. It's a pretty interesting person. And I had no idea um, that she even existed. She was in a couple of movies, Poison Dust, Vital Follow, the book, Bush Legacy, Bhopal, The Search for Justice, Uranium, Speaking Our Peace. So ironically, she died of cancer. She wrote the books, No Immediate Danger, Prognosis for Radioactive Earth, and Planet Earth, The Latest Weapon of War. She wrote that in 2000. She won some awards, United Nations Environment Program, Global 500. So she's kind of in the Helen Caldecott territory. She was a consultant to the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission, the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency, and Health Canada. Very interesting. She received her BA in math, physics, and education from the Uville College and was an associate professor of mathematics from 69 to 73. This is an interesting person. I don't know who she was playing for, but scientist, author, environmental activist, epidemiologist, and Catholic nun. And she writes a book about weaponizing the earth. Got my attention, piqued my curiosity. I was like, hey, let's get her on the show. Well, probably not going to happen. But she might be worthy of doing a bit of a deeper dive on as a reference point. Um, I had a little video lined up as well. And it is... How long is this thing? Three minutes. Why don't I do this? This is a, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to play this. It's a really user-friendly version of a demonstration of Tesla's earthquake machine. So I'm going to extend the show just a little bit here uh, so I can actually play it without feeling like I'm up against the wall for time. Uh, it's a three minute video and it gets into um, how Tesla's earthquake machine actually op operates. It's kind of a humorous little video too. So the website is um, where boiler, where boilers and it's dedicated to steam technology. Stop, stop scratching that. Stop scratching that. Don't look at me like that. You know better. All right, my headphones on. And um, 
Let's play this video. Hey, I'm Brent. You're watching Steam Culture. Welcome or welcome back to our longtime viewers. Hey, this is Nikola Tesla. Now, many of you uh, know the name because it's the, uh, the, the marketing inspiration, I guess, behind the Tesla electrical car. Well, that's because Tesla was a famous inventor, electrical engineer, and mechanical engineer, but he's known for so much more than the, uh, the namesake for the car. Invented many things. In fact, if you kind of think you know Tesla, you may have seen this picture. This is the, the famous Tesla coil. In fact, it was also featured in the Disney movie, The Sorcerer's Apprentice, if you've seen it with that cool scene where there's electrical current bouncing all over the place. Well, like I said, Tesla was an inventor. In fact, he, one of his things you need to know about is he is the father of alternating current electrical power, or AC as it's known, which is in all of our houses, um, you know, electrical motors, all the, these electrical motors that you see in here um, are all powered by alternating current. And I guess from that standpoint, because before that they used direct current, which is DC. So if you look at it that way, Tesla put the AC in AC-DC. I made that up for you this morning. Let me tell you something that Tesla made that involves steam though, which is why we're talking about it today. This is the earthquake machine, or the, uh, it's a reciprocating oscillator, but it's powered by steam at about 400 PSI. Tesla could create electricity from this, so he claimed. So it's got a piston in the middle, and it's, uh, steam would come in and act on one side of the piston, and then steam would come in and act on the other side of the piston before it exhausted the steam, and it would move up and down super fast, turn some armature that would generate electricity. Now, Tesla claims that he almost took down a building in the Flatiron District of New York City testing this thing, that buildings were shaking you know, for a city block. An ambulance has shown up. I don't think that was ever proven, but that was what Tesla uh, claimed. Now, the interesting thing about Nikola Tesla is that a lot of his inventions didn't actually get to market, but they, they formed the foundation for technologies that we use today. Obviously, the induction motor for uh, AC power is based on his design, and we still use it today. Wireless communication, he was working on back in the early 1900s. Uh, that platform got us to where we are today and wireless power transmission so when you take that phone and you put it on that charger wirelessly to charge your phone that all started back in the early 1900s with nikola tesla who took time to work with steam and make the earthquake machine so you can go google that and if you want to just kill some time seeing some cool stuff go google nikola tesla inventions there's there's no end to them. And watch The Sorcerer's Apprentice because that's pretty cool. So thanks for joining us this week on Steam Culture. Uh, every Friday we'll have something here that's great for you. Um, I said go Google something. I always say this. Go Google us first. It's your number one priority because we got content for you each and every week. I will work on something for you. So whether or not Tesla actually created this, these technologies, or seem to be the front man for the technologies, which some people believe, and you could probably put me in that camp. They were around, right? So this stuff has been around for quite a while. And given that we've seen so many um, cities collapse into rubble, San Francisco, uh, 1906, right? That technology was, was on the table, right? 
And how long has it been around? Did Tesla just come up with it? Or was he the guy that was used to introduce this stuff or um, understand it, refine it, and then patent it? Those are, those are really big questions. And that's um, a topic for another conversation. But if they've had that technology since the time that Tesla was farting around with it in New York City, Long Island, Colorado. They've had a long time to perfect it. A long time. So is it impossible to trigger and or amplify a tectonic event anywhere on the planet? I say unequivocally, no. And then we connect the dots. And then you can figure out the rest for yourself. You can say, well, I know it seems like poppycock or these things happen. Right. But I'm always going to give you something to think about whether you agree with it or not. Um, and as far as the sensitivity issue, you know, I just, I just go from the spleen and it doesn't mean that I'm insensitive. What really drives me is a sense of righteous indignation that it had to happen. And, you know, my response in general was, if it would have happened in this country, I would have said and done the exact same thing. And I did. I have. And I remember, I remember the post 9-11 U.S., knowing full well that what we saw was not what they were selling. And it took me a little while to kind of, you know, climb, climb through the rubble and find the rabbit hole there, but I found it. And I was having unpopular conversations with people pretty quickly. And I remember uh, getting thrown off of talk shows back in the day because I was bringing things up that people didn't want to hear. So Scorpio rising too. I guess sometimes I can't help it. Right. Just the way it is that said, acknowledging uh, the death and the destruction and the suffering that is going on there. The other thing, this is another part of the story. Cause you know, I dig in, right. The other part of the story that has emerged, and again, some people may not like this, but the building standards have declined all over the world, all over the world. And there seems to be the Chinese style of pouring concrete, which is much more viscous and um, not turned enough. And they do it because it actually dries quicker, but it doesn't have the same kind of concrete density that concrete needs in order to withstand major tectonic shifts or, you know, you just look at China. I mean, they got buildings in China that just kind of wobble and fall down, right? So there's that. and. You know, if you have extremely high standards 
it takes a lot of time to build things. High standards don't always support the marketplace. And when you get into certain parts of the world, a lot of times you're dealing with kind of local authority. And the local authority will look the other way and say, look, we, we need this hotel. Or we, we need these condominiums because we've got all these people coming here and we need them quickly. You can even make a case for the same thing with the Florida condo building that collapsed, right? And, which is a very bizarre um, story in and of itself. And putting up shoddy buildings. Because, well, we've got the money. we got the drug money. Uh, we got to launder it. Let's start making some buildings. We've got to get this shit up fast. So the decline in building standards worldwide, that is a Uranus and Taurus effect, which is all about deconstruction and de-evolution. So the lifespan of buildings is dwindling before our very eyes. So that's another part of the story, and people don't want to talk about it. You know, but even some of the best and um, most rigorous examples of earthquake-proof construction would have met their match and had a real test with what happened in Turkey. See, I'm leaving some space there for... What happened? But that's another part of the story, right? It's another part of the story. So then what happens? Well, of course, you never let a good um, crisis go to waste. Oh, here comes global standards of building. Yeah, we're going to come in now and we're going we're gonna to tell you where to build, what to build, how to build, and what to use. We'll never let this happen. Everything now that is crisis-related will be um, – Round it up to the global level. Whether it's a pandemic or an economy or an earth-related disaster or tragedy, it will be rounded up to the global level. Global standards will now kick in. Not national, not state, not county, global standards. It's the nature of the beast. Well, we can't have that. They didn't meet global code. So keep your eyes on that. And if that's the case, then I would expect there to be a lot more rubble moving forward. Jasper, what do you think about that? What do you think? Yeah, you're about to have an earthquake this weekend when we unleash the beast when we unleash the little beast, we'll take care of you. You're still top cat. All right. Thanks for being here, everybody. A little bit over time today, but I thought uh, I wanted to play. It's a simple video, but I just wanted to show you that this thing existed, right? It's been around for a long time. Long time. All right. So um, to the people of Turkey, we wish you all a very speedy recovery and that you come back stronger that the the uh, stress 
in the tragedy are remedied quickly and that it is resolved in a stronger sense of um, sovereignty and identity and uh you know we look we are all human right we're what we think we are so you know we're also praying for miracles that people are pulled out of things, saved, survived, and somewhere down the line, you know, they make a contribution to this thing that we're living in. And to Lisa, um, you know, we're all uh, we're all here. We got the uh, GoFundMe, and uh, if you feel like donating and helping her out in the wake of Pat's passing um, and dealing with some of those medical bills, that's there as well. All right, I think that's it. We'll be back tomorrow over on YouTube, Friday Farcast. For the first hour, I'm going to have an old friend uh, who is making waves in the food world. And she has a, a blog which has become quite popular, and it is called The Recovering Vegan. And we're going to talk about her journey from being a vegan to being a carnivore, the toll it took on its bo- on her body, and how she's dealing with vegan activists who are targeting her. Her name is Giselle Besson, uh, and I look forward to talking to her tomorrow. And I'm trying to cinch up another guest for the second hour, and if it works out, it'll be a, a really good one-two punch for our Friday. All right, take good care. Use your head in order to discern what's real, your heart to say what's possible. Check out truehempscience.com. I'm Robert Phoenix. Bye for now.